All right, there we go. So let's, uh, let's start with prayer this morning. Loving God, Creator God, thank you for this beautiful weather. Thank you for the rain that we've had that nourishes the land and the earth. Thank you for this time we get to spend together. Thank you for this space to be with each other and to be intentional about learning about you, about building relationships, building community. May this be a morning that um, is a good reminder for, that, for us of your presence and your love for us, that we're not in this alone, and that all you expect of us is to love you and to love others. Amen. <clears throat> so, thinking about this morning um, and about a topic that made sense. Oh, finish. I'm going to move closer to you. Okay, so thinking about this morning and uh, a topic that made sense, one of the things that I know is really important to the Bloom community um, is grace, right? Like, that's really significant here. It's that um, this is a place where we recognize grace is so integral to the gospel, that the good news is grace, right? Um, And it's something that's really important to me personally, too. Um, It's actually... um, there's sort of a funny story about how Tom and I met and a big part of us becoming a couple and developing a relationship was based in grace, very literally, like having a discussion about grace. Um, and on my Facebook page, like under, you know, how you can like put things about yourselves um, under religious views, I have a quote that has been there for years that I really love from a song you might recognize by John Mark McMillan called How He Loves. And the quote is, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Um, And I love that. I think it's so important to remember um, that we can't escape grace, that it's there for all of us um, because of of the gospel, that that is the good news. Um, And so this morning, as I was thinking about talking about grace and sort of sharing a little bit about my relationship with grace and what it means to me and why it's important, because I think it's important for me as a new member of the community to talk to you about that, because it's important to all of you. Um, I was realizing that what didn't feel right was to do a sort of um, teaching or message that's similar to what I hear about grace a lot, which is um, sort of the altar call-y, like, grace for everyone, and, you know, Jesus died on the cross, and now there's grace for everyone, and, like... um, and so we should show grace to others and, you know, God has grace for you. Because I realized that there's a really significant part of grace that I think doesn't get talked about enough in church, at least in my experience. And that is inward grace, grace for ourselves. Um, my experience of the church is we talk a lot about grace for other people. And we even get preached at a lot about, you know, pastors reminding us, like, There's grace for you. There's grace for you. But we don't get taught a lot about how to show grace to ourselves, how to turn that inward. It's not necessarily just accepting God's grace, which is important, and not giving grace to others, which is important, but also giving it to ourselves. And this is a really big deal for me uh, because a particular thorn in my side and a particular thing that I have struggled with my entire life is perfectionism. So I heard a a little bit of an audible response, so I'm not the only one. Um, 
perfectionism has been a thorn in my side for as long as I can remember. Um, and perfectionism really is like the opposite of grace to ourselves. When I think of what grace turned inward is, I think of things like self-compassion, self-forgiveness, self-acceptance, self-love. And perfectionism is none of that because perfectionism, the entire point of perfectionism is that there's something like innately wrong with you <laughs> and you need to fix it, right? Um, and so for me, this is where my real struggle with grace comes. It's not about telling you all that God has grace for you because, boy, do I believe that to the core of my being. And it's not about telling other people who aren't here or present now that God has grace for them because I believe that to the core of my being. It's believing that I should have grace for myself and that that's part of the gospel too. Um, and it's something I've noticed in a lot of churches, as I said, with the discussions about grace. Um, but I also see it in other ways too, not just so directly when we talk about grace in churches. I see it in the legalism that I've experienced in a lot of churches and, and others in this community have talked about. I see it in um, the striving to appear perfect, in the attempt to put on this display that like we are above reproach or above sin. Um, and as I was thinking about it, I realized too that we're in a society that sort of stresses perfectionism in sort of a, a backdoor kind of a way because um, we are in a society that really um, promotes success, finding success. And in a world, in a society where social media reigns as much as it does, every little mistake can be broadcast to the world. Um, you know, and, and there are people whose lives have been ruined because of a mistake they made being broadcast to the world. Um, and so it's, it's a very, it's an important topic, I think, to address. Um, and I, my experience has even been in some of the churches I've been part of that the Bible is used like almost against me in a way or like to convince me that I should be perfect because, hey, there's Matthew 5.48. And that says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's there. Um, however, what I was not taught about that verse um, is that the word that's used for perfect in that verse, the Greek word is teleos. And teleos does not, it's not a literal translation to perfection. What teleos means is completion. It means to bring things to fullness or to wholeness. Um, and that's important because that's different than perfection. It's really different than perfection. Um, and the other piece is, um, my first time actually speaking here, for those who are here, I talked about the Beatitudes, which is um, in Matthew 5. And I talked about how Matthew as a whole, like the message of the book of Matthew, is that it's not about legalism. It's not about the law. It's about the heart. It's about where our hearts are. So if we take this verse, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, out of that context, it sure does sound pretty, pretty legalistic. Like, you better figure this out. Like, get your shit together, basically. But if we look at it in the context that it's in, in Matthew 5, not only do we have to be reminded it's about the heart, not the law, not about legalism or perfection to the law. Um, we also have to remember it's not about perfection in the sense of no mistakes. It's about completion or fullness or wholeness. 
as God is complete and full and whole. And that verse comes at the end of a section where Jesus is talking about loving neighbor. And Jesus starts by saying, you've heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, love your neighbor um, and hate your enemy. I'm telling you, love everyone because everyone's your neighbor. So when we take it in that context, we realize that this verse isn't about um, being perfect or, or meeting some unattainable standard. It's about the idea of completion in love finding completion in love. And if our love is extended um, only to those we consider neighbors or friends, then our love is not complete. To be complete, to have love that is complete like God's love is complete, is to extend it to all people. To have grace that is complete is to extend it to all people. Which brings me then to the original verse um, well, not the original verse, I guess, but to the, the phrase that we think of when we hear about loving your neighbor. It's Matthew 22. It's also in Matthew um, 36 through 40. And Jesus says, Jesus was being tempted by the scribes and Pharisees as, like, what's the greatest commandment? And they thought they were going to trip him up. <clears throat> and what he said was, <clears throat> excuse me, love the eternal one, your God, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is nearly as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The rest of the law and all the teachings of the prophets are but variations on these themes. Um, and I think it's interesting to note that the word used for love there is like agape love. I don't know um, if you uh, know much about the different forms of love, the different words for love used in Greek, but this is the love that's like abiding love, like unconditional love, um, committed love, love without limits. And so my question is, if we are to be complete in love, and I would say complete in grace, and if we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, what does it mean to be complete in grace and love if we don't turn that inward as well? Is it complete? And I wonder... um, what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves if what we feel for ourselves is self-hatred? Awfully hard to love your neighbor as yourself or to show really full, complete love if what you're turning inward is hatred or rejection or judgment. And then if we look further at the Bible as a whole, we see that you know, the, the one thing that's true and consistent in the Bible is that everyone misses the mark and everyone makes mistakes and everyone is imperfect. Even the people who in the Bible are like the heroes, right? Like the people that we think about. I always think about David, who was noted as a man after God's own heart, but also did some like really terrible things, like getting someone murdered. Um, all of these people who are... Um, who we consider heroes of faith, um, who do show us a lot of God's character, also have some pretty big failings. Back by the kids, please. But I bring in the water My son really likes to be the center of attention. He likes to perform. Huh? Thank you. Uh, um, so, you know, so we see in the Bible throughout that, like, we've all sinned. I mean, we, there's the basic Romans 3.23, right? You see all have sinned and all their futile attempts to reach God in God's glory fail. And then a story that I was thinking of that really, for me, um, 
also highlights this sort of grace versus perfectionism piece is the story of Mary and Martha, which is not one, I'll be honest, that came to me right away when I was thinking about perfectionism. Um, but as I was sort of digging into scripture and um, spending more time thinking about it, I realized, well, wow, that's a really good example of um, this sort of heart attitude that we're talking about. So, um, so here's the story. I'm going to read it. Jesus continued from there toward Jerusalem and came to another village. <clears throat> Martha, a resident of that village, welcomed Jesus into her home. Her sister Mary went and sat at Jesus' feet, listening to him teach. Meanwhile, Martha was anxious about all the hospitality arrangements. Martha then interrupts Jesus and says, Lord, why don't you care that my sister is leaving me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to get over here and help me. Jesus says, oh, Martha, Martha, you are so anxious and concerned about a million details, but really only one thing matters. Mary has chosen that one thing, and I won't take it away from her. So when we look at that story, what, what Martha was stri- she was striving. She was striving for perfection. She was striving for perfection in hospitality, for having all the food right and the home clean and everything prepared and settled. But she was missing out on the opportunity to connect and to learn. What Martha, or excuse me, what Mary was choosing was the more important thing. Mary wasn't worried about the um, about everything appearing the way that it should. Mary wasn't worried about what Jesus would think or what other people would think or say if they didn't have enough olives to eat at the meal. Um, she recognized the importance of learning and connecting. And Martha, this is what's really interesting to me, is that Martha, her response I was realizing is she was really projecting her own perfectionism onto the people around her. She was projecting it onto Mary, like Mary should be striving and she's not. She was projecting it onto Jesus. Jesus, don't you realize that this isn't how it should be? Um, And I found this article that I thought was really interesting. And I'm going to read snippets from it two different times. First, I'm going to start by um, bringing up there. So I found this article that talks about, um, it's called How to Teach Perfectionist Kids the Power of Self-Forgiveness. And I thought, boy, how about we learn how to teach perfectionist people the power of self-forgiveness? But one of the things it talks about is some of the ways that you can recognize perfectionism in a child, and I would extend this to adults too. Anxiety and anger over making mistakes. Difficulty completing tasks where they're not sure to excel. Fear of embarrassment and humiliation. Frustration over difficult tax, tasks. Excuse me overly cautious in approaching new tasks or flat-out refusing to take them on, and over-the-top meltdowns when projects go differently than anticipated. How much of those do you hear in Martha? Because <laughs> I hear a lot of them. I hear anxiety. I hear fear of embarrassment and humiliation. I see the over-the-top meltdown when things aren't going the way that she wants them to. And you know what? I resonate with this so deeply, like to the core of my being. And the thing that's interesting, though, is that we know that striving for perfection is a losing game. There is no winning in striving for perfection. There's no winning in perfectionism. And so it's ironic that it's something that like, we continue to strive for and continue to seek because we'll never make it. We know we'll never make it. Um, and I heard someone once say this, and I think, that, um, I think that there's truth in it. She said, perfectionism is the worst form of self-abuse. 
And I think there's truth in that because one of the one of the core foundational bits of, for example, emotional abuse is convincing someone that their feelings are wrong. And one of the core aspects of psychological or mental abuse is convincing someone um, that they are defective, that they're broken. And that's what we're doing when we're turning perfectionism inwards, is we're convincing ourselves that we are like broken. There is something fundamentally wrong with us, and we are not deserving of grace. We're not deserving of our feelings. Um, and so, <clears throat> so now the question, the big question, right? Why does this matter? Why is this important for each of us individually, and why is this important for Bloom as a community, and why is this important for the world? And I have a lot of reasons <laughs> that I came up with. Um, but besides the fact that, that you know, striving perfection is a, um, a losing game, which I've said already, like I think that's an important reason to think about this, um, we model behavior, and others learn from it. Uh, the reason that I, I googled <laughs> um, perfectionism in kids is because I'm starting to see that in my kids. And guess where they learned it? Um, and we, we learn things from our parents, right? Like we, we model things that we saw from our parents, and some of those things are great. And like we're thankful that we learned those things from our parents or from the important people around us. And some of those things are not so great. And I know that perfectionism is one of those sort of family traits that I learned from my mom, and she learned from her parents, and I'm modeling it for my kids. And so it's really important to pay attention to this and recognize that that's not the way that it's supposed to be. Another reason this is important is because mistakes are important. And ignoring mistakes or pretending they don't exist or beating ourselves up for, for them is not helpful. Mistakes are important because that's when we learn and that's when we grow. Some of our best learning moments, or at least I should say some of my best learning moments, have been the moments where I've like royally screwed up. And I learned something really important about myself, or about another human, or about the world, or about relationships, or about God, or usually about a lot of those different things. Um, and so the fear of committing a mistake is, in some ways, I wonder, is that a fear of learning and growing? I don't know. Maybe. I'm really not sure. Um, but I think it's really sad that some of us have so much trouble accepting the fact that we're human and that we, we make mistakes when mistakes are such gifts for learning and growing. Um, one of my dear friends has a um, poster up in her office that says, mistakes are proof that you're trying. And I think that that's really helpful to think about, that um, mistakes show that we're invested, that we're working, that we're trying to do something, that we're trying to grow, that we're trying to change. And here's, I think, the biggest one, the biggest reason that this matters, at least to me, is because if we want to be grace people, if we want this to be a grace community, then that grace can have no limits. And if we're limiting it to everyone but us, then we're not being a grace community and we're not being grace people. It's very hard to give someone something that you don't feel inside. It's not impossible. I know it's much easier for me to show grace to other people than to myself. But for that grace to be made complete, for there to be completion and fullness and wholeness in it, it has to extend to ourselves too. And here's another thing. We want to be an authentic community, right? Like we want to be authentic people. It's impossible to be authentic 
No, thank you. It's impossible. <laughs> hey, look at me. I'm not going to say it again, okay? Three times. Thank you. Um, it's impossible to be an authentic person if we're striving for perfectionism because that means that what we're putting on display for people is this, this image of who we want them to see us as. It's not who we really are. It's not the core of our being. Um, and, you know, I think probably Luke and I were talking about this the other day, um, and he said, you know, maybe that's why churches feel really fake to a lot of people, why a lot of churches people go to don't feel authentic, don't feel real, is because there's so much perfectionism steeped into the culture that people can't be authentic. And so I think that, that um, something that we're good at here, from my experience, is we're good at being able to say, you know, I make mistakes. We're good at saying this is something I struggle with or this is something that's hard for us. And that's fostered by the fact that we have discussion after each time that we meet together. And that's great. Um, and I think that's why Bloom feels refreshing to a lot of people who are turned off by the church writ large. Um, we recognize authenticity. We honor authenticity. That's important to us. Um, and that's great. And If it's only about being authentic about our struggles, then we're, miss we're not completing the task. We're not doing that love and that grace to completion because it's not just about honesty um, about our struggles. Like that's a big part of it, but the work isn't complete if we stop at being honest about it and we don't move forward to the grace piece, just like the work wouldn't have been complete until Jesus came and showed us what grace was. And... Um, and part of that is because, you know what? Perfectionists are really good at, at recognizing their failings. So if it's just about authenticity, then we're going to be stuck in perfectionism. Because I can tell you, I could go on for hours about all of my failings. I could tell you all the things that are wrong with me. That's really easy. But that's not the work of the gospel. The work of the gospel isn't saying, these are the things that I struggle with. The work of the gospel is saying, and that's not the end of the story. And that's not it. And that doesn't define who I am. And so I think that um, something really important for us to consider is what it looks like to be a community that begins turning grace inward or continues that work so that we can, we can come to that completion of grace so that the grace isn't um, in arrested development. We haven't stopped or cut the process short. Um, and I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to end with something that I think is really beautiful in this article um, about perfectionism in kids. They give some um, ideas of ways that we can help perfectionists, young perfectionists, move towards self-forgiveness. And I think, boy, there are some really good ideas in here that I would like to employ in my life. And I think, boy, if we could be a community that does this for each other too, we will really help foster self-grace and self-acceptance and self-compassion. So here are some of those ideas. Teach each other to acknowledge our efforts. Help each other move towards self-praise by talking through the effort that we put into our work rather than focusing on the outcome. Help each other see mistakes as an opportunity to improve and I would add to grow. Work together to find solutions to a perceived mistake. Notice perceived mistake because a lot of times <laughs> perfectionism means that we consider things mistakes that aren't mistakes, and point out the beauty of the lessons learned. 
Replace criticism with positive statements that acknowledge improvement and effort. Boy, is this one tough for me. To, re- to replace my own internal criticism with positive statements about the effort I put in, that one's tough for me. Try to get ourselves and each other to look at the bigger picture to see the task at hand as a process rather than an outcome. Share examples of mistakes with each other that led to new discoveries. Um, and this one is, um, this I think is a great idea for kids specifically, if this is something you notice in your own kids like I notice in mine. Um, pick out books on mistakes people have made that led to inventions. Talk about famous figures who lived through a series of failed attempts before making their breakthrough. Be open and honest about your own mistakes. Talk about mistakes you've made in the past and how you've learned from them. Show the humor in those situations. Repeat the mantra, making mistakes is okay, beating myself up for them isn't. Explain to each other, to your child, to yourself, that the real mistake is berating oneself, not the error in the task at hand. And this one I find really interesting, and this would be really interesting to put into practice. I wonder what it would look like. Expect an apology. Just as you would expect your child to apologize to someone else for their rude remarks, so too should you when their negative comments are directed at themselves. That's really interesting to me, that we, we could actually walk through the process of what it means um, when my kids do something, um, and, and when I do something that I need to apologize for, our process is that we acknowledge what it was, we acknowledge why it was wrong, we ask for forgiveness, and then we try to do something reparative to, um, to make it right, so to speak. And, and what that looks like depends on what the, um, the breach of the relationship was. I wonder what it would be like to put that into play for ourselves. What would it be like to breach uh, or to... to um, reconcile with ourselves or to bring some sort of redemption or reparation to a breach of our own integrity. Let's, um, let's pray. God, thank you that your grace is all-encompassing and all-sufficient and full and complete. And help us Help us remember that for your grace to be complete, for the good news to really be the good news that it is, we must be able to extend it inward to ourselves too, to recognize that we deserve grace, that we deserve love, that we deserve compassion, and that to expect perfection from ourselves is a losing game. and sets limits on the grace that you so freely give and that we so freely give to others. Help us to remember that to love our neighbors as ourselves, we have to love ourselves. We lift these prayers to you in your name. Amen.